Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Welcome to another film study brought to you by Liquid Death Mountain Spring Water. Go ahead and check that out. You'll hear more about it in a little bit. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Hi, folks. We're back for part two of the, our defense discussion. Joining us here is at NFL Ogden, James Ogden himself from the UK. James, how are you doing? Not bad. Ken, thanks. How are you? Uh, can't complain. Not a, not a little bit. So we've, we've talked a little bit about stuff in the first half. There'll no doubt be a little bit of overlap. But my first advice for you, if you're listening to part two right now, go back and download part one and listen to that because James is outstanding. We talked about a lot of great stuff. Uh, went almost an hour, probably over an hour with with a couple commercials. So uh, uh, definitely a lot of uh, nice nuggets of content there that you're not going to want to miss. But I thought we'd uh, we'd start off with the pass rush in the second part here, James. You good with that? Yeah, that sounds good. All right. So really interesting game for the Ravens pass rush because it was an extremely constrained one for McDonald, extremely conservative, I guess you would say. I don't know whether conservative aggressive really means the same thing anymore in the NFL. If, if, if you're being conservative, you might really be just be being weak and not, not necessarily uh, uh, conservative. But anyway, they, they, McDonald uh, uh, used 35 of 38, four or less man rushes. And I want to break that down a little bit for you. Uh, with three or fewer, there were two plays for six yards. Four, there were 33 plays, 152 yards, 4.6 yards per play. It's just outstanding against Burrow. Three sacks and one turnover, so they got the extreme plays they wanted there too. With five men rushing the quarterback, two plays minus one yards, no problem with that. And the one play that they rushed six, they gave up of the longest play of the day, a 33-yarder. I thought it was a really interesting really interesting approach from, from Redonald. What I liked about it was that you know, I, I I was a little critical. Of, well, I, I thought he I thought he called a really good first game against the Jets. I was a little critical of him in week two, um, where he seemed to 
yeah, the, the Ravens weren't getting pressure and he desperately wanted to get pressure and started to bring some of those sort of blitzes that we used to see from from Wink and, and showed that he'd grown up in the Ravens' defense, frankly, uh, McDonald. Uh, and what I liked about this game was that he has clearly realized that, and I don't think he's realized, I think he knew this already. I think it was just like second game coordinator in the NFL type nervousness uh, play calling in that Dolphins game. Uh, but what, what I think was really good about this one was that he sort of realized that you can win games and not give up yards in the NFL if you don't pressure the the. the the QB you can you can win games through your coverage and and what I liked was that yes it wasn't the the Ravens secondary didn't get as decimated as it did it as in the Dolphins game but it was a you know they did lose Marcus Williams they were a little more inexperienced on the back end you could see them the fact that there would there would be Stevens and Williams and Stone out there at the same time on on some plays so you you sort of got a situation where he he understood the situation the game situation and understood that he was getting some pressure with those with w- without without coming with the blitz and also understood that they were getting their hands up and getting in the passing lanes yeah. um really well and it just felt like it was a an altogether more controlled game plan and in the end a more controlled uh, sort of play call from him as as the game wore on yeah i i liked it i i did not think he adjusted too much in game not too much a little bit with elements of deception, but not certainly not with numbers uh, in, in terms of what he brought. Did bring a you know a few off ball blitzes. They, he allowed some stunting to occur, whether he called it or they let it be called on the field. It could be either. Uh, simulated pressures were an interesting thing. They did try five simulated pressures in this game. Uh, Burrow is reasonably good dealing with the blitz, so I don't think the the simulated pressure is really there to confuse Burrow as much as there to confuse this incredibly disconnected. Bengals offensive line they've got four new players in there and all of them have like been like decent NFC players it seems like I think I'm not sure if Karras came from the Patriots but they have Karras at center they have uh who's the guy at right guard who I'm Kappa. Like, yeah, Kappa, Kappa who's the worst and, worst and, guy and, in a books offensive line yeah and and then they have Lyle Collins who was a star for Dallas for you know for a long time and uh, it's just it's it's a group of players who are, who are not used to playing together. Jonah Williams seems to be a little bit better this year in terms of of what he's doing. Still not the not quite the left tackle that they had hoped to get when they drafted him with their first pick. Yeah, now and that, I think that was key. I, I I picked up on the stunts as well. I think yeah, definitely the simulated pressure was there to com- to confuse them, but the stunts com- w- yeah. were very they were they were really dealt like with the stunts badly uh you know there was you know the ravens haven't been a particularly successful stunting team as as far as the um the season's gone so far they've they've shown some flashes of it that i've kind of liked and thought i'd, lo- I'd love to see some more uh but in this game they sort of just took advantage of a of a bengal's offensive line that just does not communicate well it really did expose that the bengal's offensive line remake as a bit of a remake on the cheap you know um not not necessarily on the cheap i know they spent a lot of money on it but it was a kind of mediocre rebuild. At least you get away from some of those really real weak links that were in that offensive line a season ago, and, and you get some more sort of you know, adequate players in there at least. Um, but like I like I touched on, Alex Kappa was a was you know was the was the weakest link on that Tampa Bay offensive line, um, uh, and you know we've seen Ted Karras isn't having a great season. They've got a, a Cordell Volson, the a rookie left guard. Um, Lyle Collins is having a, a, a unexplained season. Uh, right. I, he must be dealing with some kind of injury because it's so so unlike him the way he's playing. So there must be some kind of injury there or something going on. Uh, so it, 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 they just they they took really good advantage of that. I felt um, you know that there wasn't huge numbers of pressure on Burrow, but it, there was enough sort of yeah there was enough going on in front of that offensive line that they that they that they really struggled to deal with. Yeah, they. I I thought they were effective, and even when they got like just kind of crummy little pressure, and they got a couple of plays I can name where they got like a little bit of pressure that was actually pretty good. Matabike got into the pocket once and got a roll left out of Burroughs. First of all, anytime you get a roll left out of quarterback, that's actually pretty good. People don't realize just how important that is against right-handed quarterbacks. If you force them out of the pocket to the left side, and there's probably something in pass rushing that I'm really not familiar with that says you always bear down on the left side of the quarterback from your perspective to try and force him to the left 
if he's right-handed because he's, there's quarterbacks are so much less effective going that way. But he got Burrow out of the pocket to the left side, and Burrow you know, got over there in a reasonable amount of time, but it was a play where Calais Campbell had dropped a cover, and he came in and rushed the quarterback late because it, after the pocket had broken and delivered a pretty darn big QH that wasn't even really completely caught on the video. Yeah, and, and Calais, I think, is a particular. I know we're going to hit on individual players, but I feel like Calais really benefited from the from the stunts I felt in this mm-hmm. in this game. Um, and you know, they're, they're finding ways to get him involved, and I feel like he's having a quietly, you know, very good season. He just seems to be ageless, really, at this point in his career. Completely agree. I mean, he's a guy who always shows up in my notes multiple times. Rarely really makes a bad play. I mean, it's not like he can never miss a tackle, but you know, the 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 number of times he's easily blocked on a run play is not that common. The most the biggest problem he ever has with the Ravens is disappearing for a period of time as a pass rusher. But even even after I go back and I think he's had not that good a game as a pass rusher, I'll look through and I'll see where he shows up in my notes and he's contributed as a stunt under or he's in the backfield. Uh, pushing his guy back where he didn't get a tackle and he created, he blew up the play on a run. I mean, just there's so many of those with a Calais Campbell that, you know, the Ravens are going to really miss him when he's gone. Whoever they, they won't have anybody like him. And, and uh, it'll just, he's, he's a, a big defensive playmaker missed. And I, 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 ageless is the correct term. I mean, this, I, I can't remember a player, even Ray Lewis, um, who would continue into his late career like this as a defensive lineman and, and, uh, and still be effective. Obviously, Ray wasn't a defensive lineman, but uh, he was good up until his next to last season. Uh, Campbell's been good and playing an unbelievable amount of football all the way into his late 30s. is just ridiculous. Yeah, and with the way he plays the game as well, like he, he's – He's such, he's such a huge human being as well that it you know you could easily see that really taking its toll on him throughout his career. But he he clearly he's he's obviously such a professional, you know, with the way he clearly takes care of himself um, to be able to still be playing at this kind of level. Um, and you, you could see I, I did a lot of work on some of the, the the run defense when Brandon Williams and Derek Wolf were, were were part of that a few seasons ago. And obviously Calais Campbell came in the the kind of um, or they call themselves the Monstars. Yeah. Um, like it, as good as Wolf and and um, and uh, Brandon Williams were, you know, Calais always stood out as as you know a, a, the real crucial leg of that tripod. Um, yeah, and, and he just continues to do it. Yeah, I mean, Wolf, they leaned on when they had multiple injuries on that line for an unbelievable amount of play. I guess that was in 20, right? Yeah, yeah, 20. Yeah, Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, sad the way his career ended in Baltimore. Obviously, not what we want to otherwise see. Uh, I had some other things to talk about in terms of pass rush. Let's get back to that if you don't mind. Uh, Burrow had ample time and space on 13 of 38 dropbacks. That's 34%. It's probably a little bit above average. So they gave him a little bit of time to to stand back there, pick some targets, and a lot of the throws still went to the outside, as we mentioned in that first part, that he had 12 of his 38 throws uh, were behind the line of scrimmage receptions. So he, I think he went 12 for 12 on those throws, got a decent amount of yardage per play, about 6.2, uh, 6.3 yards per play. So he, w- he was a lot worse when throwing the ball downfield. Uh, which really tells you just what a bad game it was for Burrow or perhaps how successful the Ravens defense was in terms of guarding those second and third levels. I think schematically it was the way they they guarded those second and third levels. It was a really, it was a really solid game plan the, the way they came out um, with, with the zone and with the, with the more too high stuff that they came with. Uh, I just felt like it was, um, you know, it was the weight, it was the way to, the way to combat this Bengals Bengals defense and that the really, the really impressive thing, which I think I mentioned a little bit in part one, was the way that the Ravens were ready for the potential adjustments to those to those to to that defense. You know that the Bengals have faced that for five games now. Zach Taylor was definitely going to start to try and do some different things, but the Ravens were ready for those as well. They were ready for those adjustments. Um, you know, the the goal line stand I thought was the the really great example of that, where they where they were. Uh, ready for the for the Philly Cincy special um, and knew that was coming and, and played it perfectly and then got in the way of that uh, of shovel that pass. shovel pass. Yeah. Um, you know that was really great to see. So to see them to see them be so ready for that, you know, just starts to tell you that you know this team is is getting this defense, this unit is getting better and better coached. And I, I feel like it 
This was a this was a really good. I, I feel like this Bengals offense is spluttering, so I really want to kind of reserve judgment a little bit. But but it was another good indicator for the rest of the season, I think, on the the coaching staff on this on this defense. Yeah, I, that both those plays coming from the two yard line. So they had they they were on the two yard line, took a twelve yard sack, then they had a twelve yard gain where they didn't defend it all that well, but they, it was what it was, and then they defend the two yard line again. Uh, the the first one is remarkable assignment football. So yet you have uh, Peters in the backfield because his assignment is now the quarterback. He just went right after him, went to the Patrick school, queen school of tackling and knocked him down instead of wrapping up on him, which I thought was kind of funny, but, <laughs> but Boyd did not have an answer for it. He did not, he did not throw the ball away. He's way outside. He was free to do it. Uh, you know, no attempt made on on that. And uh, Peters obviously had you know a moment of his life. But also, I think it was Stone who was on the back end covering Burrow. Perfect assignment football. Gives you a great feeling about Stone's role as a free safety, uh, you know, in, in terms of defending that, that Philly special. And we had Urban, who was in the backfield. He was a tad late. I still qualified him for a pressure on that play. But I thought it was it was really nice to have him in there creating another nuisance that Boyd had to think about as Peters was bearing down on it. Yeah, completely agree. I I just thought it was um yeah it was it was re- it was really sound assignment football and and yeah I, I completely agree with you on Gina Stone as well. I did very, that, that that does really both really well. And then the 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 second play was just unbelievable veteran instincts from the combination from, of yeah. uh, Campbell and Peters. Now, when are Campbell and Peters ever really involved in a play together? Not very often, other than you know as a pass rusher and as a pass defender in, in different parts of the field. But they're seeing the same thing and this the shovel pass and, and you know alarms are going off in their head clearly. Campbell laid an enormous hit on him, and I think they they would have nearly decapitated uh, Morgan. <laughs> Morgan was the intended receiver in the play, so it was they, they you know it was all had all the elements of you know going to a tertiary receiver and all the all the all the things that you look for in a shovel pass, you know, something that they, they would have gone to Terry Jones in the, in the old uh, Kyle Bowler era with, with, with the, uh, with the Ravens. But anyway, it was, it was, uh, they went to Morgan and, and Morgan had big time alligator arms on the play. Now he wasn't going to get in and he, and he was probably going to get killed if he had, if he hadn't <laughs> had turtled up a little bit, but uh, he took a big hit and the ball just went fluttering into the end zone as, uh, as we hoped it would. One of the, one of the really pretty plays of the season so far. All right, <laughs> he's a man of few words. Sometimes he no, says <laughs> it was fun. I was, I was, you, I felt you perfectly encapsulated the the fun in that play, <laughs> which it really, you were just, you're so right. It was, uh, it was so cool to see, um, especially, especially Calais really just really blow that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would agree with you. It was a kind of, it was a Yamon figures, Mike Campanaro type <laughs> play, wasn't it? It's that, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, mind figures. There's a good one. Clarence Moore is another guy known for alligator awesome. arms on the on the on the Ravens. If you go back to the 2004 game at the Jets, there's a big alligator arm situation there that didn't look good. Uh, anyway, uh, Burrow uh, threw 15 times with the ball out quickly, and that's been a big thing. The ball out quickly has really been burning the Ravens this year. It did kind of in this game as well. Um, you know, 39% of his throws went that way for 122 yards, 8.1 yards per play. It's one of the only splits the Bengals have that was really particularly good. So, you know, we, if 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 you're Joe Burrow, you probably want to see yourself up at seven and a half yards per per throw. Um, maybe per pass play would be would be even reasonable. But but the 8.1 on on the ball out quick plays was uh, was good. It was a variety of stuff, but those were mostly balls. Um, some of the balls were, were quick ones to the outside, but some of them were also some of the quick ones on slants and whatnot uh, to the middle of the field that were beyond the line of scrimmage. So it was a, it was a mix of both, and uh, and that's where a lot of that value came in. I'll just go to the last category, and then I'll let you, let you comment on these. They generated a pressure event on only 10 plays. That's 26%. Not ex- not acceptable. They need, they need to get much more pressure than that. Um but those 10 plays, the Bengals gained only one net yard, included all three of the sacks and minus 0.1 yards per play. Yeah, that was the thing I think that stood out in this game to me was that the, the pressure was was better than we've seen. Um, well, not, not better. I, I felt there was – it showed more potential. The pressure – we saw a bit more potential out of the pressure – um, out of potential pressure and down down the line, I felt 
I thought there were some good signs going for, for going forward, but still, as you say, not acceptable number of pressure events. Like it just, just wasn't quite enough. They got it done in other ways. I think on the, um, on the quick throws, I think it was maybe a little bit of a feature of the game plan, you know, with these offenses like the Bengals, uh, although like I've said numerous times, it's kind of spluttering a little bit at the moment. It is a kind of pick your poison type thing. Um, and, and, you know, you could, they're going to beat you in, in some particular way. And I think the Ravens were pretty comfortable with what, with letting them beat them with the, with a, with a few quick passes in terms of that was, that was what they were quite happy to give up. It was a very different situation than from the Bills game um, a week ago where they were really not happy to let the Bills just settle into a rhythm um, with those quick passes. So they, they they played a different different style, different type of coverage, and it, it felt like they were they were sort of happy for that to be a potential way in which they 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 lost some yards in this game. Um, but you know that might be different in in future games. We get to give a lot of uh, ball out quick situations, and oftentimes there's nothing the defense can do to to generate a pressure in time on a boq. It it, it can they can sometimes, but but it's 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 relatively rare. Um, you really don't want to be using a lot of your assets to rush the passer when the ball is out quickly. You want to have seven guys to, to you know, in proximity to chase down the uh, uh, the receiver under those circumstances. And you mentioned the the Miami game where the Ravens really you know did more with numbers. They did more to try and get after Tua in that game. Uh, they maybe even had an extra guy around the line of scrimmage on some plays to try and to try and spy Tua. Uh, but anyway, they, they they definitely try to get after Tua a little bit more. He had 24 ball outs, balls out quick in that game, a higher pass volume in total, but still a, a higher percentage as well. It's about it's about half his throws in that game were out quickly, uh, and they murdered the Ravens on those plays. So it's uh, you know if if you're gonna if the ball is gonna be out quickly anyway, be waiting in pass defense and do the best you you can to to be the 11 billiard balls that are going after that uh, uh, that receiver. All right, let's keep moving here. Then uh, I've always expected you to say something here, and, and <laughs> right, uh, listen, no, it's, it's okay. I'm trying it's, to, I'm trying to save myself because I, I've got some stuff to say about like Peters in that that respect. I think in terms of the, you know, the, but I, I'm, I'm trying to save myself for the player discussion a little. Bit. Okay, well, uh, you know what? Then I'll be quick on the remainder of stuff. They, <laughs> in terms of of deception, they use six individual blitzes, all from inside linebacker. It's only 0.16 per pass play. Uh, did get home with the binds uh, blitz. Uh, for for one sack, they stunted eleven times, five singles and three pairs. If you're used to the old X's and O's football game from the 1980s, um, they had a play in that called Double Twist Willie. They ran that three times, uh, where where you have a tackle end stunt basically on on um, on both sides, or a ta- uh, um, yeah, a tackle end would be the way to describe it on both sides. Uh, they showed simulated pressure on five occasions. Already talked about this. I won't do it again. And of the deceptive pass rush plays they had, they had five that included two or more elements of deception. Those five plays went for a total of 18 yards, and those included buying sacks. So uh, a very good game from that perspective uh, in terms of what deception they did use actually worked. Yeah, I felt that as well. I felt like the... the, the it, was a, it was a sparing... They were actually playing against the defense who are... The Bengals defense, who are blitz at a very low rate, but are very effective when they blitz it. Sort of Luana Rumo's got the kind of um holy grail there for, for defensive coordinators who uh doesn't doesn't blitz that often, picks his moments very well and, and gets home when they do. So uh it was really good to see that that sort of because that 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 is a generally a, a, a sort of a play calling boon i think for for mike mcdonald there that to be to be able to have been effective when he did call those um was was really positive uh in terms of individual pressures campbell really had the biggest day uh jason pierre paul had consecutive pds where i think it's effectively a pressure on both those plays one was actually he was right in the quarterback's face the other one his hand was up he's a big guy uh he was even though he's a little bit distant it still was a good uh uh opportunity and he'd been he got right by the left tackle, sorry, the right tackle Collins and Kappa picked him up and did not do a particularly great job of it because he picked him up kind of deep and that set up the um, the second pass defense. But I can't remember the last time I've seen that where, where a defensive lineman had passes defense on consecutive plays. 
Yeah, it was um, it was it was impressive, wasn't it? I, I kind of was getting to the. You saw it happen twice, and I was sort of thinking after the first one, I was like, oh, "I'd be great if we could just get another another batter pass <laughs> up the line," but that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, uh, they did. Have you guys noticed those strange looking tall boys of beer, but they're in the bottled water section of your local store? It's because it's not beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it'll brutally murder your thirst. Plus, the tall boy can is infinitely recyclable. They're trying to get rid of the plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits of every can to help kill the plastic bottles. Plastic bottles are horrible for the environment, and aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually makes money for the recycling facilities. Now, you want to have some fun? It's amazing how drinking water from a freezing cold can is so refreshing. Love it way more than bottles. And there's new flavors. This is a severed lime I'm drinking right now, where earlier today I woke up my morning, which is a straight mountain water, spring water. Whether you want sparkling or regular, they got you covered. So now it's only 9 a.m. here in my office, and I'm about to do a presentation with about 50 people. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this liquid death. I'm going to walk out on stage with it, make my presentation, and see how many coworkers think that I'm drinking a beer while making a morning presentation. Now, go on over to get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death at a retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. Remember, that's liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. Uh, Owe, kind of a quiet game. I had him for one pressure, but he also, I thought, got held on one play that that, that didn't get called pretty bad. He had, looked, appeared to have good inside move on the left tackle and I think it might have been Adenije was in the game at that point who was the one who held him. But anyway, uh, it was a uh, – I didn't think his game was that bad. He had another play on the outside where he got his hand up, and I thought he could, he could have tipped the football uh, headed to the outside, just missed it. Um, so he's close, and he's. I think he's been playing pretty well recently. I, I, I don't take this as too, too big a negative game for you. What, where are you on OA right now? Yeah, I think I'm I'm right in lockstep with you. I think um, you know the, the the first couple of weeks weren't great, but I, I certainly wasn't overreacting to that. I, I think that the really have to remember the the, the development curve with Oway. The Ravens, you know, knew what they were knew what they were getting when they took him. They were getting a guy that had played you know 400 snaps in, in college, um, and and came into the NFL uh, last year and and you know. Played a good, played a very good amount of snaps in the end for the Ravens, but still, you know, is very young in his football career. So there are definitely going to be sort of some some um, bumps in the road over the course of the the first couple of years in the league. Uh, I, I, what I felt was, I, I don't know what because I haven't looked in in enough depth yet. I need to be able, I, I would need to watch him snap in, snap out for the first few games. But it just felt like he was try maybe trying something. They were they were asking him to to try something, to do some things differently in those first couple of games that just didn't come off um, and and have allowed him to go back to some things in the last couple of games uh, where where you've just seen just a, a, a an overall more solid game from him the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that will continue to, to turn upwards for me. Um, so I, I'm not too worried about him uh, like you. I, I don't think it was an outstanding game, but I'd certainly thought it was a, a reasonably adequate to solid game from him this week. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess um, when when you say that and you talk about like what they've asked him to do, there's obviously been coverage snaps he's done, but I don't think you're just talking about that. You're talking about like no. when he's as a pass rusher, is he controlled rush lane guy? Is he? Yeah, I think the plan, you know, one of the things for him that I felt has been a kind of thing that he, he sort of needs to improve. I, I, you can see him add moves really you know he he's able to use he's able you can see him add moves with quite pass rush moves that is um with with a lot of ease like he seems to pick up different ways of beating beating offensive tackles um really quickly he just um over the course i think of the 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 sort of several probably thousand snaps now i've seen of him i, I don't feel like he's yet putting it together in a in a beautifully effective plan, which is something that will take time to to come. And I, I feel like possibly the coaches were asking him to do some do some things that didn't quite feel comfortable to him to to kind of get him to see how you can set up an effective rush plan and, um, and to get home. So I feel like maybe they were doing some things forcing him to try some different things um, in his pass rush that perhaps 
um, weren't quite working for him. Uh, and I think that's a thing that you're going to get with a ridiculously athletic player like Oway. You know, you, you want to kind of get him to a point where he gets to his ceiling. And so they they want to tweak some things, get him to try some things, do some things yeah. differently. And there's going to be some bumps with that. Yeah, I, I think it's great points across the board, and in particular about a pass rush plan. This is a point I made about Away coming up. He is a freakish athlete. I mean, there's really there's almost never been an athlete like him, even as an edge rusher. And there's some incredible that that is the position for freakish, huge athletes in the NFL. Miles Garrett, you know, who the, everybody thought Jadavian Clowney was originally when he came to the NFL, and, and Adafi Owe fits right in there in in, in terms of that group. But the, the first thing you have to think about him is if he's going up one-on-one against a left tackle, which is really where he would be most naturally put on the rush linebacking side, not Sam where he's forced to play now because ain't anybody else on the Ravens who can cover a tight end. So he's, he's the guy who has to do it as an outside linebacker. So if he was playing on his normal side, he'd be one-on-one against the offensive tackle. The first thing about that is he's a better athlete than any offensive tackle who's ever played the game. And I'm not talking he's a better player. Jonathan Ogden is, is a better player. I'm talking he's a better athlete. Uh, he's, he's faster. He's, he's In most cases, he's longer than left tackles. He's out there, what, 34 and a half inches? And that's above average for a, a, you know, a left tackle, uh, certainly. He's, he's just got an incredible amount of uh, potential value that he brings to a football field. But the pass rush plan is so important because – I, the 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 very first thing he needs to probably realize is that because every left tackle out there is an inferior athlete, they will overreact to his first move. So all of the nice counter moves have additional value for an athlete of his level. If he if he you know euro step, uh, a spin move, all of the, the the you know return to the inside or even the inside then outside moves um, uh, that, that that he can lay out on the table there. Uh, all he has to do is pretend to make that first move halfway through. And once he once he gets that down, he's just going to be an unbelievable pass rusher in this league. I think he's going to be one of the guys who, who you know regularly is dialing up double-digit sack years to go with a lot of other playmaking ability that we might ascribe to a player like Suggs, where he's just got this nose for the football to pull it out whenever necessary. But completely agree with your point about pass rush plan is going to be the big step. And I, I think they've actually set him back slightly by asking him to play a different position this year in, in terms of uh, growing in that way. I think so too. I think what, what will be really interesting for me is um, when Ajabo gets healthy, because I actually feel that Ajabo had a, he's actually recently and ex- also reasonably inexperienced, a little more inexperienced, a little more experienced than Oway in terms of snaps played in college, um, but definitely inexperienced in terms of uh, as a, fo- as a, a football player in general. Um, but I actually felt he had a, he actually had quite a good rush plan already, like a solid rush plan already at Michigan. So it'd be really interesting for Oway to see, because, you know, you talk about the veterans on the Ravens team with, um, you know, great pass rushes over the years with Calais Campbell and Jason Pierre-Paul and, and Justin Houston. These guys have been phenomenal pass rushes over the years. But I think what will be really interesting for Oway is to see a guy with, obviously not quite always athletic gifts because they're so ridiculous, but someone with similar athletic gifts and how he uses those um, in his rush plan. I think it'll be really interesting for him to sort of see that, you know, and, and be driven on by that potentially um, in, in, in when we start to see a job on the field. Yeah, that's a great point. You don't really ever talk about learning from a rookie, but you know, <laughs> that is, that is something you can really pull for performances. Look what he's able to do. And, and maybe a coach has to actually point it out to you, but yeah. There is a, a a problem here. Is that the Ravens have acquired? It's like if you acquire a ton of first basemen, you don't have a you don't have a place to put them all. You can put one at DH, you can put one at first base. Maybe you can try and stick one in left field and hope that works out. But you're you're you, you end up with too many players for the position. And the Ravens right now have Pierre Paul, they have Houston, they have Owe, and they have Ajabo, and and all four of them would like to be the rush linebacker. And and somebody's got to play the Sam side, and it can't be all Tyus Bowser because a he's not here right now, and and b he's uh, uh, you know when he does come back, he probably shouldn't play all the snaps either. So I, I, they they had such a good three man crew with Houston, Bowser, and Owe last year. All I want is something that's pretty much like that. But basically, I think. There's not going to be room for all these guys when they're ready. They'll do some things. So I know we had a mailbag question about this. And I appreciate it is, is 
what will the Ravens do with all their outside linebackers when they come back? It's a really great question. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it's, let's, let's just go. Let's do it now since we're on the thing. I mean, I, yeah. I, we, they could go back. They haven't used any of the race car this year because they haven't had any chance. In fact, they've really not used any rush dime this year, like putting on a third outside linebacker to play inside. They've done, you know, maybe four or five snaps. It's, it's really very little so far in, in for a five game uh, season. But they just, you know, when you go into a game with three outside linebackers who can even stand, you're not going to use them all on one play because you know you have to get rotational value out of those guys. And right now, I mean, it looked really great after the Jets game that they were getting some pressure from the interior. Not so much the last few games. So I think they might look for other ways to get that. Yeah, I think I think you're totally right. I think um, the, the 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 problem guy here, I think, really is is Pierre Paul because Houston's been on a snap count for for a number of for for a couple of years now, and you know had to play a lot of snaps early in the season, and is has now has the injury, so they're probably going to want to be reasonably sparing with with Houston, um, and certainly Houston is probably the best. Um, edge setter they have at the moment so they probably want to focus him on 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 more running downs um i, I think the thing we have to remember with ajabo is that he's he's going to be he's coming back from an achilles so you know his his snap count is going to be very limited as well i would imagine it, it may be that he turns into an absolute superstar and the achilles doesn't hamper him too much but it usually hampers those guys early into that first season, you would imagine you're not going to see the very best of him until, until the second season, although he could, he could do it. He could do something um, coming back. So I think that's the thing that I I would say is that I think there's still these injury concerns around all of them. And if they are all healthy, then there's definitely a, there's definitely a problem there. And I do feel like, oh, wait, we'll have to continue to play a bit more Sam. um, If that's the case. That seems to be, to me, to be the most sensible way of managing it because I think there's a chance that Pierre Paul is gonna t- is gonna turn in a very good season and is gonna be pushing for a lot of snaps at that at that rush linebacker spot um, because it just looks like he's healthy. It's only you know I know it's only been two games, but it just feels like he's ramping up a bit more and it and he might have something in the tank for this year. I loved I loved what he did in this game. I also you know know the kind of season that Collins has had, and and it it hasn't been particularly good. And and that, that that's one of the things in having to know your foe guys on. They really beat the hell. They he really beat the hell out of Collins in this particular case for the kind of season he's had. He's just you know he doesn't know what's wrong. But you mentioned a possibility of an injury. Uh, I, I I just all getting back to the point that I have to take. Pierre Paul's play in context. He didn't have a great first game with the Ravens. It was okay, but it wasn't great. Um, What was good about it was that he he managed to play every snap. I think when the Ravens do get them all back, one of the things that's going to be true in 22 at least is Ajabo really isn't going to be ready to go. And the most you're going to get out of Ajabo is a 8-12 to snap a game situational pass rusher. And the Ravens got room for that. Because yeah. hey, they you know they they've got guys who need to come off the field, and they also you know frankly Ajabo, I think he'd be fine playing on the inside. I think you you could you could play him a lot of different places and get value out of him. Maybe they want to play him at rush linebacker just to see you know that particular thing is all he's really known, and so it makes more sense for him to start there. But uh, but I think you could play him other places and 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 get value with Houston coming back. He's he's so terrifically valuable under almost any circumstances that that I there's no. There's no place where it's wrong to have him on the field. The problem is he's probably also going to be want to want to be on a pass rushing downs because all pass rushers want that, right? Yeah, and I, th- I think the, the the realistic sort of projection that we probably need to make to be safe um, is that you know Bowser may come back and be great, and you know we're talking in sort of seven eight weeks time, like Jatias Bowser playing again, but at the moment he's not, so. You know, I think looking at it as it is now, you you've got Pierre Paul and Houston who are going to be probably rotating um, mm-hmm. over the course of the next few games on that rush spot. You're going to have Owe playing the Sam as 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 much as he has so far, and I think uh, obviously they've been rotating Malik Harrison in a little bit into that as well. Mm-hmm. But I think I think what you've got, I've described Ajabo before as basically a, a you know a 
potential reliever down the stretch you know believe it or not i do i do kind of like i do kind of like my baseball as well um <laughs> even though i'm from the uk and so you just kind of see him as maybe a good inning you know a good few innings of relief pitching um down the stretch when maybe pierre paul and houston have been have been overused throughout the course of the the, the you know the, the the start of the season i feel like that's how that's the expectation i have for a jabo i think in this season uh, like you say, as a situational pass rusher, ten to twelve snaps where he's you know he's having an impact on on the game. It, it, it's very reasonable. And the other thing I would caution: managed expectation in this case, because I think the Ravens' injury situation at outside linebacker will, generally speaking, get worse, not better. <laughs> is is you know they have some guys coming back, but they're also you know we we don't know who's going yet. <laughs> and and you know Pierre Paul is an older player, and uh, you know it, that's just a significant risk OA has been an iron man i i certainly hope you know being a younger guy that he can he has a better chance to last the season because he's absolutely critical to the ravens but uh uh you know when will tyus bowser be back we really don't know when will will jabo be back in 22 i i we really don't know he may practice and he just they may know that he's not really ready and that he needs to spend the offseason getting ready and i don't think they'll i don't think they're going to push him back if that's the case unless they really need him all right, let's. I, I we took a lot of time to talk about a couple of players there. Why don't you pick your next player, and we'll kind of go through the players one mm-hmm. at a time. I think I definitely. I know you talked about this, and I'm sure you'll want to come in on this as well. But uh, I think Marcus Peters is the is the one to talk about here because I think that the the thing that was really was really apparent. There was obviously some missed tackles from him in this game, but he set the tone early. It was a kind of this is. You know, he he was sort of saying, "I I wasn't in, I wasn't here last year, <laughs> and these these dudes ran all over us, and that's not going to happen this time around." And I'm going to show you very early with some hits on Pete on them um, on Jamar Chase. Um, so it it felt like it was a determined beginning, and and while there were some some bumps in the road, I thought his role um, in terms of just really setting the tone for the defense was 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 crucial this week and he really showed himself as the the kind of leader that 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 we expect out of him you know the, the you know the 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 leader that we expect for the the money the ravens pay to him i i i, I was really you know it was a really good game for him in that sense yeah re- remarkable all-around performance and awareness at a very very high level um you know J- jamar chase is a hell of a receiver it wasn't all uh Peter's stopping him, but Peter's had a big hand in it. In fact, I think they threw the ball three times to chase with Peter's covering him. And it was two incompletes and a, and a stop for zero. So zero yards on those, on those three targets, even though there was one catch in the, in, on that first drive, uh, just chase didn't have an answer for him. I mean, that's, that's remarkable given, you know, what chase did to the Ravens, you know, last year and the rest of the guys against him were fine too. I mean, there was nine plays for 50 yards. You'd take that against Jamar Chase anytime. It's less than six yards of a, a, a target. Um, but uh, but Peters really was the guy who uh, uh, who really set it up. I, I did think, you know, he's got some issues with tackling, but he also made some great tackles. A tackle on Hayden Hurst ended a drive. You know, it was a, it was a five-yard play when they needed eight. And he went right in there against a much bigger man and, didn't take him to the ground, but he pushed him out of bounds. And and Hurst was already kind of bent over as that was happening. It was it was it was wasn't pretty for Hayden. I don't think he's going to enjoy watching that film. But uh, uh, but a great play on that. Uh, and then what else do we see? He missed a tackle on a on a pass right for six. Uh, that was at about one yard. That was on Boyd. And then he, the big missed tackle he had was on the thirty three yard play. So that was a two plus thirty one play, and he he missed the tackle at ten yards. So that's a costly missed tackle. That's about as bad as it gets. Um, and yet when you combine that with all of the positive things he did in this game, I don't know how you don't come out with uh, he was really the Ravens, uh, Ravens star. I would, I would wholeheartedly agree. All right. Uh, incredible. We already talked about it. Just incredible 
awareness on both of those at the two-yard line plays. Uh, he knew exactly what his assignment was. He went right after Boyd, knocked him right over. I, I would have been pissed if if that tackle had been missed and Boyd would have just been able to shed him off. It's just the, the, the way it went was it, it couldn't have been prettier on the screen than it was. I just I, I just I really I really would not want to see that from an inside linebacker trying to make a tackle like that. But given that he's a cornerback, sure, what the heck, <laughs> have, have your moment. Uh, it was then, joyous. Yeah. Yeah, and then the, the the awareness on that shovel pass just I I, I cannot get over. Just how remarkable it is that you, know, you have two veteran superstars in Campbell and, and Peters who know exactly what's going to happen on that play as it's developing it, get to the point at the same time and turn that receiver Morgan into basically an alligator-armed little girl. <laughs> uh, we don't want to do too much of that. Okay. Let's move on. I'll, I'll pick the next player. Let's talk about Patrick Queen a little bit because there, there were some really nice things in this game he did, and there were some other things that that didn't work out nearly as well. Uh, I think, first of all, really good to see him get his arms out, extended from the body for the interception. Given how much he's been in the right place these last three games, that could really help in terms of getting some some turnovers. We did talk a little bit about that in part one. I don't mind a little bit of overlap there. He had a really beautiful coverage on the third and seven at the end of the first half. So there's 13 seconds left in the half, third and seven. If they get a first down, uh, they might still get a touchdown, so you certainly don't want that. But he forced a uh, throw away with really good coverage on the left side when the Ravens otherwise had a quarter package in. They, they went after Queen, not, not really surprisingly. But, uh, but Burrow realized he had to ground the football, and uh, that ended that drive. So two nice drive-ending plays from Queen in this one. Yeah, I think, yeah, as you said, we touched on it in part one. I, I felt like he um, just was in position, in position to make plays. Uh, and, and clearly, obviously, with the, with the INT, made a play. Um, too, I, I just think uh, there there is a there is you know there's some improvement we're seeing there from him in in this in this year. Um, that's that's really good, and it's and it's not the other the other encouraging thing is while they are taking him off the field on some snaps, yep. um, a lot of the improvement we saw last year was because there was so much um, you know that he was taken off the field so much in so many crucial situations that it was kind of. It was just it was a real kind of hand-holding situation that got him to play better last season. They're giving him more responsibility. Um, you know, he's he, you know, he his his block shedding is improving ac- across the course of this year for me. Like I, you're seeing him take on blocks a little more. Um, and so I, you know, I just feel like there are there are little improvements in his game that um, that I enjoy seeing. And it, it one of the things that I sort of maybe twig um, on Sunday was seeing um I'd forgotten entirely that that um Zach Orr is on this coaching staff and um, uh probably really absent-mindedly of me but uh you know I wonder whether he's having a kind of um, uh, a positive impact on, on Patrick Queen I, I I can't imagine that he wouldn't at least in a relative sense a younger player much more relatable than a than a Rob Ryan for any number of reasons you could you could count but uh yeah, Rob Ryan waddling around the field trying to teach Patrick Queen how to play linebacker is actually comical to watch in real life. It's it's it just it's you couldn't imagine two more disparate people. You got grumpy old man, you know, with how he his body type looks, trying to tell Patrick Queen, who's you know a young, very fit guy, you know where he needs to be on a play and what he needs to do, and uh, it's just you could you could sense that there would be relatability issues directly with that. I think there is a certain requirement. Um, not, not requ- requirement's not the right word. I think there is a certain value in a coach remaining physically fit while he's a coach to be, you know, Anthony Weaver or whatever, just a big physical man who can push people around, you know, when he needs to, to make a point. Um, it, it, offensive line coach. Now the Ravens don't really have this directly. They have Dallas Sanders, who's an older guy now, but he's not afraid to get his hands on the other offensive linemen and kind of push them around, set them up differently, and you know tell them how to make steps directly in their face and whatnot. Uh, but there is something to be said for to to have a, a a younger, more relatable player like Orr. We um, over here in the UK, we often get some. Um, so I I don't I always watch um, the American coverage on the on the 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 stuff I have the the passes I have. But if you do watch the UK TV coverage, there are sometimes um, some analysts that 
would wouldn't make it close to a desk um, on the networks <laughs> in the US. Um, and uh, Rob Ryan was was one of the guys we got for a while um, before last year, and um, I was surprised um, given the. I mean, not everybody takes the TV, so maybe it was just that. But I was surprised given the level of analysis you saw from Rob Ryan on uh, on UK TV that he was uh, he was back in the NFL in a position coaching job. There you go. Uh, who's your next guy? So I think uh, would be great to to sort of quickly touch on. Um, I know we don't want to repeat too much, but um, you know, Calais Campbell, uh, uh, you know, on another positive side, was just um, was just really good in this game. I felt that the that he was uh, opened up a lot, lot on stunts and, and twists um, where he was where he was able to um, to just just showed like we said in part one that he's just ageless and, and to to see him um continue to anchor this defensive line it's just a sh- it is a shame that uh, while we say he's ageless it is a shame that he is the age he is and he's not playing and um, 90% of the snaps and he's having to rotate out because i do think the the level of play sort of drops off a little once he once he rotates out of the out of the the defensive line rotation but uh, when he's on the field he's he's great at the moment yeah, between 30 and 34, he played between 77 and 80% of the snaps every single year. That, to me, that's the greatest five-year run of durability I am aware of in NFL history. I mean, there's all kinds of people who played Jim Otto and things who played tons of consecutive games, but Campbell's uh, situation there just absolutely remarkable. They, they had him down to 37 snaps in this game. And the point I want to make, other than his play, is that that reduction in workload really seemed to permeate a lot of positions in this game. If you look at it, if you look at what the Ravens did at slot corner, they played 15 snaps of Stevens and 44 of, of uh, uh, Pepe. So they may think Pepe is, our, is their guy and they, and they want to move forward to him, but they're still splitting up the snaps a little bit on that. And left tackle, we saw, what, 22 snaps or something from Ronnie Stanley. Still have to score that tonight. I'm really looking forward to doing that after we get off this call. Uh, but but that you know was a was a shared responsibility an inside linebacker for the first time this year really they took Patrick Queen off the field on a regular basis they did a few snaps before but this was he missed uh, I want to say eight ten snaps maybe twelve in this game and uh, and that's that's a difference an outside linebacker you know they had Copeland in there you had a fair amount of of Harrison in there and so it wasn't the complete away and JPP show that it had been the previous week, which I thought was good. So there seemed to be a, you know, a effort permeating the organization to not overwork players. And especially against a team like the Bengals, who is certainly capable of keeping you on the field for a long time defensively. Uh, you know, you're, they can be ready to, to deal with some of these long drives. Yeah, I, com- I completely agree. All right. Well, appreciate that. Uh, let's talk about JPP then. We'll, we'll talk about him. Uh, lots of lots of positive things in here. He did good things against the run. We mentioned some of the past things again. A couple of couple batted passes in a row. That's terrific. The the, the sack was a was a really nice uh, shed inside of Collins. That's not an easy move. That that comes. There's not a lot of pass rushers in the NFL who have that. Obviously, um, and, and there was on that play. There was an unflagged hold on Kappa. Uh, that should have held up the sack, but it didn't. He worked right through it, and he and he and he got there to to make the play. But I, the the last thing I would I would add is I thought he played really well against the run too. He had a nice play. Almost he missed the tackle at minus five on that chase run right that ended up being for zero. The whole Ravens played it great all the way down the line. They stretched it out well. In fact, Marcus Peters got credit for the push out of bounds, but he was like the least involved in the play. There was, it was a, a really good play from Pepe. There's a great play from JPP. And there was somebody else maybe involved like Harrison or somebody who was, who was also in the area, but just a, just a great play on that RR zero. But the other one was he had the backside on that RL minus two that Mixon had uh, when he was in the backfield. It was, it was midway through the first quarter and, uh, and he did, he did a great job of containing the backside. Just, I thought, that's one of the things they've really got from JPP is some better backside containment than they've had some from some other players uh, so far this year. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think it was it was quite telling that because 
one of the things I thought it was telling that the I think we talked about it in part one that, that they ran the ball up the middle very very successfully in this game the mm-hmm. Bengals uh, or more successfully than they have done most of the season but they did they did struggle to get outside on that Ravens defense and I, I felt the 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 edge setting was was improved and I think Pierre Paul was was part of that um, and I, I I do think that was. Um, that was uh, something that bodes well. I think the thing for me with JPP is just that you know he's 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 clearly healthy, um, mm-hmm. and we're we're seeing the hopefully the start of a of a decent run this year from him. Um, where I just feel like he he yeah he could be a um a really savvy pickup in the end given given how um how bare that cupboard was <laughs> when they signed him a couple of weeks ago. Another player you want to talk about? I think uh you know we we've touched on touched on a lot of touched on a lot of guys that you've you've mentioned him briefly uh but Malik Harrison just yes. um like really really good game from him this week like a, you know obviously limited snap count as we as we we sort of expect to see from him but I, I just he's a guy who I just I, have always felt like there's more to come there's always always seems like there is a real role for him on this defense in a kind of I don't know. I sort of. This is a poor example because I don't. I don't think he's going to stick at Sam um, his entire career. But I, like a, a kind of Jarrett Johnson type that just kind of slowly comes along and ends up being a really effective contributor for the Ravens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like I don't necessarily mean in the same position, just in terms of the way his development goes. Um, so I, I just feel like uh, I, I, I like it when I see a good game from from Lee Harrison because it it just makes it, it continues to make me um, optimistic for for his future. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm positive on it, and, and I, I I came into the season really needing to see more from Lee Harrison, and I think it, he's delivered the goods. Um, and in particular, this was probably it might have been his best game as a Raven. It's it's pretty close if it's not. And I'm trying, I'm having to really think in my head between some preseason games and the regular season to really decide what what other might be better. But um, he's on the field for only 17 snaps, which is just fine in, in terms of of a contribution. He doesn't have to play a lot of snaps to be good. You asked for these stats earlier in terms of breakdown for defensive linemen. Here's Harrison for this game. They ran the ball six times for 18 yards against Harrison. They passed the ball 11 times for three net yards while Harrison was in the game. So 17 plays for 21 yards, 1.2 yards per play. All three of the Ravens sacks came with Harrison on the field. Uh, Harrison is, is the, you know, one of the very key players in their big nickel formation, which was six plays for minus 11. So he had three stops personally that were defensive wins uh, and they weren't flashy things. They weren't big sacks or anything, but he's on the field there, you know, doing his assignment uh, when the, the defense is excelling in general. And that's a big difference. I, I, you know, and I, I think he probably will earn additional snaps at inside linebacker, whether that takes away from Bynes or maybe even from Queen uh, as the season rolls on. I think he's, he's earned it at this point. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll say, let's go to a couple of mailbag questions, if that's okay. And then we'll get you out of here. And I really yeah. appreciate you staying up late with us here. I know it's <laughs> no getting problem. to be late there. <laughs> no uh, problem, all right. So uh, how did Geno Stone do stepping in for Williams? Did the scheme change once the safety rotation was upset? I think the answer is no on that. But yeah. Very positive on Stone going forward? Yeah, I think so. I think we've touched on it, haven't we? I, I think I'm very, very, really positive on him going forward. I don't think the scheme changed greatly, frankly. And thank you at Brot, Brot, Brot for that question. Uh, the next one is at from at Overhaul O-Line. Wonder what he's going to want here. Uh, you probably address this regardless, but who do you see replacing Williams? How may McDonald adjust scheme? I actually think they're going to play very similarly yeah. in terms of scheme with Stone on the back end, and uh, I do think it'll be Stone. I don't think this will create an opportunity for Hamilton, and we kind of discussed earlier. Anything, Dad? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it will be Stone, and I don't. I, I can't see a huge. I, I think McDonald is playing how he how he wants to play. Um, maybe he gets a bit creative, and we start to see some more three safety packages, and you know he he gets a bit more, you know, interesting and the interesting on the back end. But I'd be surprised. I think he's um, he's pretty happy with the way that I, I would be pretty happy if I was him with the way this two high shell is going. And I think Stone will step in and provide a. We've talked about it a, a slightly lesser level of play, but um, I, I can't I can't see a reason to change change the way they're playing. 
Yeah, great opportunity for Stone. Hope hope he makes the most of it. This is really this is really pretty cool. And 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 the upside is definitely there for a player like Geno Stone. So I'm I'm excited to see it. Uh, at Saul SSBM says uh, this might be hard to answer, but was Patrick Queen's interception a product of general improvement in zone drops reflected throughout the game, or was it more of a one-off lucky play? It's kind of a little bit to unpack there, but uh, I'll let you take that one. Yeah, well, we talked about it a bit, didn't we, in part one? I, I think there's definitely potential that this was a... I, I have seen improvement from him in that side of his game. So I I, I don't want to say that it's a one-off lucky play. There may be something to the fact that it was against Borough. Uh, because, like I said, it's not something that the Bengals do very often, play action. Mm-hmm. It is not something that they do particularly successfully. So when Borough turns around to hand the ball off, usually it's a handoff. So he definitely knew something. He saw something. There was some kind of tell that he saw that allowed him to get back out, unless that was just his assignment all along anyway. But it just felt like there was something that he, you know, was that he saw that was going to get him back out into that play. Like I said, unless it was some kind of, it didn't feel like it because he didn't, he didn't come forward hugely. I just wondered whether maybe it was like a, uh, you know, a, a simulated pressure. He was coming in and showing blitz and then dropping straight back out. But I, I, it didn't feel like that. It felt like it was an instinct play, but it felt like maybe there was something to it that you mentioned earlier around him having played with Borough for so long. But it just, it, to me, it, it was in, it was a, I think what it was for me was a really, like, really good, really, really positive, indicative example of some of the improvements you've seen in his play if you've watched him a bit bit closely over the last few games. So I'll, I'll give, I think, a balanced approach to this, or at least I'll try and make this balanced. I, I definitely don't want to say it was a lucky play because of the way he's been in the right spot for the football to hit him in the hands or the body and bounce off the last three weeks. Okay, so we've we've seen three fum- three one fumble, two interceptions that you know he was in position to make, and th- and then he makes one this week. That's fantastic. Um, this one was the most impressive of the group. Well, about equal to the potential ninety eight yard interception return that didn't occur in terms of stepping in front of a play on that one. Um, that play was in front of him. Okay, the second interception that he dropped was a tip ball at the line of scrimmage, which came to him. That play is in front of him. This play, it wasn't in front of him. And that's what we really need to see from Patrick Queen. So I'm really optimistic about what this might mean for him. Um, is it possibly Burrow? It may have been playing with Burrow some. I, I I can't really say. He could he may really know Burrow well enough. They probably talked about it after the game, had a little laugh. I'm sure Burrow wasn't really laughing that much <laughs> at that point, but uh, but they probably talked about it after the game anyway, since uh, uh you know, since they certainly knew each other. But anyway, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh I think generally speaking. You ought to be about as optimistic about Patrick Queen as you have been so far now. Yeah, I would agree. And I think um, one of the things you could go back, actually, and I, I think, I believe, the the kind of, he didn't play uh, the first few games in his senior year at LSU. And he came in in sort of game three or game four. And mm-hmm. the play that put him on the map was an interception. It was exactly like it, wasn't that. it? Yes. Yeah. I, th- so I think exactly the same back. Yeah. So it just does feel like, yeah. So what I remember about that interception, and I've got the visual memory of it, although I haven't looked at it recently, is that Queen was moving from his to, to his right and he's yeah. scissoring in effectively on the route, meaning the route is coming towards him. So it was really more of a lateral move to intercept yeah. that ball. Not, that's still good because you, yeah. know, they, you can't see the receiver in a series and watch the quarterback, but it was, it was a read play. This one was a strict drop into position and obviously Burrow, Terrible throw by Burrow. I don't know what the yeah. Bengals fans must be saying about this to, to, to have him throw that ball with basically in a position where two defenders look like they could have had it. Yeah. Yeah. Got a couple more questions here. Let's go. Let's go quickly. Since everybody wants to get their question answered. I'm sure at nuts for sport 30 says, how concerned are you with the YPC given up? And was it a trade off for not giving up the deep ball? I have an answer for this. I'd like to hear from you as well, that the 4.8 yards per, per play are not really a, a problem on an individual game, particularly if the results were barbelled. It's a problem how consistent they were in grinding out yards easily. They had a long run of 12 yards, which means there's no big play, you know, boosting up that number. And that's a problem. If the Ravens are going to give up a bunch of consistent four yard plays, that's a problem. 
Yeah, I think we've we've talked about this a little bit, haven't we? And I think I think not for sport is Rory, who's uh, another UK Raven. Um, but I, th- I think, uh, yeah, I, I would I would agree. I would agree. I, I am con- I'm concerned because it's not something that you would. One of the ways in which you would take away this Bengals offense is by stopping the run. Like they they have real, they, they seem to be very predict can be predictable in their play calling. Have struggled to run the football, and it's been a reason why their offense has spluttered through the first first half of the first few games of the season. You, you wouldn't sort of allow them to run the football, um, sacrifice that to 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 defend other things um, on the field. You would want to continue to bottle up that because it's caused so many issues for them. So um, it was a bit concerning that they were able to run so effectively out of 11 personnel against the Ravens up the middle, which we talked about. And uh, it's something that, that, you know, is going to need to be a key for that defense to improve going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I got one more and then we're done. Try Kindness Today says... What is the confidence level in Hamilton going forward, especially given that Williams, the Williams injury? Thank you. Is there is there we've, is there anything we can add to what we said earlier that, that I, you know, you and I both don't think that Hamilton is really going to get appreciably additional playing time from this specifically. He could earn it maybe with good play and dime, maybe by getting into some big nickel situations, but he's not really going to replace Marcus Williams on the back end as a free safety. No, like we said, I think it was, uh, you know, if it was if it was a Chuck Clark yeah, dislocated wrist, I could definitely see him playing a lot more. Um, but I, I, I think you're right. I think he's going to have to earn that playing time through through better play in the packages that he's in, um, and maybe he starts to get on the field a bit more. But I, I think I think they will go Geno Stone, and and we'll, we won't see a, a huge increase in his playing time. All right, we just recorded about two hours of content for you. Hope you hope you've listened to both parts here, James. There's just no one I appreciate talking football with you any more than you. Really love you coming on the show, staying up late with us talking football. I see that clock in the background. You really need to get to bed, I guess, because uh, uh, you probably got work tomorrow. I'm guessing. I do have work tomorrow. I do have work tomorrow, and like I said, it was uh, it was a late night last night to because I really want to. I I get to sort of midnight sometimes, and I think should I should I should I go because you know I've I've watched all the games in the lead up, and to, and and this Sunday we had nine hours of football and uh, before the Ravens, and uh, I just couldn't resist. So yeah, I'm pretty tired, so I'm gonna I'm gonna head off to sleep. Yeah, analysts hate night football, kind of the golden rule. One more time, where are you on Twitter? Where can people find your content? At NFL Ogden on Twitter, uh, you can find my game previews on Russell Street Report, Battle Plans, which um, drops every week, sort of Thursday, Friday time, uh, which are really in-depth previews um, of the of the next game with the Ravens and my own site, redstarbaltimore.com. Oh, outstanding stuff. I, I noticed you've got 1,900 followers on Twitter. That's not nearly enough. Uh, James <laughs> is one of the really great follows. You, if you're, you're missing out, if you're not, so please make sure you give him a follow. Thanks. Other folks out there, if you are looking to uh, be on a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter, 25 minute topics. I would love to have with you. And so nice narrow topic. We can discuss in some significant depth in that period of time. Uh, we had a lot of analytics people on, but I'm also looking for people with just passion about individual topics. Uh, James, thanks again for coming on. No problem. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on film study. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.